0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a co-worker, or a single-barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find, only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21.
1: I'm Kenzie Wilbur, host of Burnt Toasts, and today we're rerunning an episode from the archives. If you're new to the show, bear with us. We've been on a short break to do a new season. We'll be back, and better than ever, on February 9th, 2017. Today's episode details how Michael Ruhlman thinks some of the ways we're eating as an American culture are making us sick. And no, he's not talking about eating too many latkes or Christmas cookies. He's talking about synthetic substitutes, but also the way we're talking about our food, too. In his mind, this epidemic has a lot to do with semantics. Namely, that kale is not healthy. We're all using that word wrong. Let's get straight to him. Picture yourself standing in the checkout aisle of a grocery store. There's a woman in front of you in line, and you're watching her items on the conveyor belt you see fat-free half and half. Do you call her on this? Do you ask her if she knows what they replace the fat with? Michael Roman does.
0: She's choosing a product that had replaced something good, which is natural dairy fat, with something we know to be bad, corn syrup. She had no idea. We need to think about our food. We need to know what's going into our bodies. This is partly why I think we're so sick. Just because something's labeled fat-free doesn't mean it's good or better. In fact, it's usually worse.
1: I'm Kenzie Wilbur, this is Burnt Toast, and today, food writer Michael Rollman will tell us how we can cook, eat, and shop better.
0: I think it's fine, you know, to, if that's what you choose, if you if you really don't want the fat, if you want the corn syrup. I just want you to know that that's what you're eating and, and to recognize that this is not a better product because it's fat-free. Fat isn't bad, stupid is bad. I'm calling stupid the woman who puts the half and half on the conveyor belt. That's loaded with sugar that's bad for her because she thinks that getting rid of the good fat that's good for her is the right thing to do. She's ignorant. She doesn't know. Now she knows. I'll bet she chooses the right one the next time. I mean, I would say don't even listen to me. You know, don't, don't listen to anybody. Think for yourself. That's, that's my line. You know, think for yourself. Pay attention. It's not hard. We've been eating for a long time.
1: And this is his point. You should be asking yourself the question he asked that woman in the checkout aisle. If you have and you still want to put corn syrup in your morning coffee, great. If we knew what we are getting ourselves into when our editorial team made a bodega pit stop for yodels and funnions a few days back, fine. For the record, we did. It's not a judgment. It's about making sure that advertisers and food companies are not doing our thinking for us. So what's the point? Well, it's about changing the conversation.
0: Because we're still talking about healthy food. Eat healthy. Mm -hmm. Healthy food. Our food isn't healthy. We are healthy. I want to start paying attention to nutritious food. A baked potato with butter on it. Somebody might say that's not healthy. But is it nutritious? Very. Especially if you eat the skin. It's very nutritious. Again, words matter. That's why I wrote the piece.
1: The article he's talking about is titled, No Food is Healthy, Not Even Kale. And it was published in the Washington Post a few weeks back. It's a clickable headline, but what it actually means is that we're confused about our food, and we have good reason to be. This is why Michael's angry, and why he'll back up calling out fellow shoppers in the checkout aisle. For him, it starts with semantics. Michael argues in the article that healthy is a bankrupt word when it comes to food. That kale salad we take for granted as being healthy, it's not. It's nutritious. We might be healthy if we eat it, but the kale itself is not of good health. We are, or at least we try to be.
0: There are good common sense indicators of what's good and what's not good, and it's mainly common sense. Eat whole foods. Avoid refined wheat products. Those are the stuff that's likely harming us the most. It's all the sugar that we're getting, which triggers huge insulin releases, and it's causing sugar to be stored as fat rather than going to where it needs to go in the body. We need to eat legumes, beans, anything whole. With a f- The important thing is to eat, eat foods with a fiber matrix. A bean it has carbohydrates, which get translated into sugar ultimately in your body, but they've got all this fiber in there, so it slows the the conversion of carbohydrate to sugar in your bloodstream, so your insulin can handle it. The doctor I spoke with about this, likens it to a valet service. Insulin is a valet service and, and sugar is all the party guests arriving. And if all the party guests, 500 party guests arrive at the same time, that valet service is going to be really stressed and it's going to be a backup of cars and it's going to be sitting there and those is that, that's the sugar and that's what gets stored as fat. Whereas if they arrive slowly, let's say it's an open house rather than arrive at seven event, the insulin can handle it as it comes in. So eat foods with a fiber matrix like grapes. Lots of sugar, yes, but they have a fiber matrix. Eat whole foods. Cook it yourself, and really, you can eat pretty much anything.
1: All the things that we've been told for a very long time, like eat every eat everything in moderation and in moderation.
0: Eat lots of colors. Mm-hmm. Eat the whole spectrum of the rainbow. Um, eat, that's another rule.
1: Right. Eat food mostly plants, not too much.
0: It's a great. It's a great <laughs> line. It's a great bumper sticker. Yeah. Thank you, Michael Pollan.
1: <laughs> so. Eat foods with a fiber matrix. Eat a lot of plants. Eat things that are whole. Think for yourself. We've heard these things before, and they're still true. But if all-natural smoothies can contain genetically altered soy, and all-natural cereal can contain soy oil processed with a component of gasoline, I swear I'm not making this up. You've probably eaten this stuff. What do terms like natural and gluten-free really mean?
0: You just need to know not to trust any labeling at all, and that's too bad. Nothing really means anything. What does all natural mean? Sure. Versus natural. Why fat free? Well, when a product that, for instance, has no gluten, say coffee, for instance, if you see a package of coffee that says gluten free on it, you're being duped. But it's all marketing. It's, it's all marketing. Yeah.
1: And, and the government comes out with new propositions all the time, right? Eggs are bad. Eggs are good. You know, what is the latest standing? It's very hard to keep up.
0: Well, the latest standing is they, they've just released new guidelines that come down pretty hard on sugar. Doesn't come down hard on anything else, really, even red meat. It does say limit red meat, especially for teenagers and, uh, and men. It says limit dairy fats, eat more monosaturated fats and, you know, almonds and avocados and that kind of thing.
1: And once we were being told to eat butter every single day, is that is that what it was?
0: I don't think we were ever told to eat butter. The first, you know, these food warnings first came out in the 60s. That's when we were told what to eat and what not to eat. Mm-hmm. And that's about the time when people started getting sick, as soon as the government started telling us what to eat and what not to eat.
1: Mm-hmm. So who are Who are you talking to? We're not talking to the woman necessarily who puts that half and half down, right? This is a larger conversation.
0: Well, I think we're talking about anybody who cares about food. I mean, and <laughs> if we don't care about our food, um, we're in big trouble because we kind of need it. You know, and when something something you need to survive starts making you sick, you become pretty obsessive about it. And I think that's the reason why there's this confusion and this need to know now because our food's clearly, Harming us mm-hmm. in big ways, mm-hmm. and no one's sure why, and there aren't really any good answers out there.
1: Is there anything that's off limits for you?
0: Processed food, mm-hmm. fast food, st- stuff that makes me feel bad after. This is what I tell people. They say, "How do I eat?" I say, well, first of all, cook your own food. Harry Balls, or the the wonderful food researcher or marketing guy, said sort of angrily that you know Americans are never going to change their diets. Give up? They just want convenience and ease. And pressed by Michael Pollan for an article in the New York Times for something optimistic, something hopeful. Get, you know, what kind of diet should we be eating? And Balzer just said, "Cook your own food. Mm. Eat anything you want. Just cook it yourself. That's good advice. Second piece of advice is pay attention not to how it feels while you're eating it, but pay attention to how your body feels after you've eaten it. That's when your body's telling you if it's good or bad for you. You know, I love Pringles, but if I eat a whole can. I feel like shit. Whereas if I eat a steak and a baked potato and a big salad, I feel pretty good afterwards. You know, so listen to your body. Your body tells you what your body knows. It regulates. You know, it knows how much salt it needs. When you taste something that's too salty, it's because your body says, oh, whoa, I, I don't, you know, I don't need all this salt. Because salt is so critical to our, uh, the way our body functions. Whereas so much of salt now is sort of hidden. You don't even taste it because it's overridden by the corn syrup. So we don't even, our body can't even sense it entering our body. So I think that's why we're getting too much salt and too much hypertension. Again, if you cook your own foods, you can season the food naturally with as much salt as is pleasing to you. Again, cook your own food and you don't need to worry about these things. I used to eat like Special K for breakfast thinking that it was a better choice. It's not a better choice. You know, it's a better choice than Fiber 1, which tastes like cardboard. That probably is better for you. Um, <laughs> What would be better for me instead was to not buy something in a box, but rather what I started to do was you know buy my own raw oats and my own nuts and and make proper granola with honey and and pureed fruit and good stuff so I could eat my granola.
1: you wrote you once wrote that um, we're listening to the wrong people and and, you know, Yeah,
0: we're listening to doctors and nutritionists and the government, people who used to be trusted, who we should be able to trust, but we can't, Mm -hmm. obviously. Eggs are bad for us. Right. Give me a break.
1: And they're good again, though, so it's okay.
0: They're not only good again. They're so good that people are raising their own laying hens. They were this evil, and now they're this cheap form of protein. It's so emblematic to me of the craziness of our food culture that we took this staple of human diet for millennia. And then suddenly, you know, we say it's bad for us. The egg is a miracle food. It's, it, is a, it is a miracle of economy, of nutrition, of great manipulation in the kitchen. You can turn it into so many different things and you can use it as such a great tool. And it's delicious. I don't know anything that's not better with an egg on top. Even a piece of cake.
1: I agree 100%. Even a piece of cake. And that's why you wrote a whole book about it. There you go. <laughs> it is a magic food. Do you think that as food people or food writers or, you know, just people in this industry that it's our responsibility to be having these conversations? Like, why, why get involved?
0: One, we've got a serious health crisis in the country. We spend a billion dollars a day on food-related illnesses. So that's A number one. I mean, basically, we can cut that down at the grocery store. We can cut that in half if we learn how to shop right, and if we cooked our own food. So I care about that. Eating good food is is it's good for our bodies. It forces us to work together because cooking is takes work, and we've sort of forgotten the importance of work. That's things that are good for us often take some work. So we share in that work. That's what our original ancestors did. Um, We share in the work. We sit down together and we eat that food and we converse. And that food makes our bodies healthy. It makes our families healthier. It makes our communities healthier. And it makes our environment healthier. All of these things are fundamental to happiness on this planet. And we forget that at our peril.
1: And to not pay attention to those things is fairly ignorant.
0: To not pay attention to them... um, endangers these things that are so good for us and mm-hmm. allows all the bad stuff to happen to us mm-hmm. just because we're not thinking.
1: You mentioned that we don't know how to shop. What does an ideal grocery shopping expenditure look like
0: to you? Mainly produce. Lots and lots of produce. And then a little bit of meat, a little bit of bacon, some eggs, some dairy. Again, whole natural foods, Natural being like a good cheese produced by a good farm that cares about its animals and cares about the quality of the milk that makes that cheese. That's a good food. That's a processed food. But it's a good process. So, you know, again, here's another word, processed. What does processed mean? Mm, yeah, exactly. You know, so cheese is processed.
1: Almost everything that you don't just pick out of the ground is processed.
0: Everything that's um, not raw has been processed.
1: Mm-hmm. But there's a good processed and a bad
0: processed. There is a good processed and a bad processed.
1: And the bad processed is introducing things that don't need to be there?
0: That's Yes. Stuff that doesn't need to be there. But, it see, it needs to be there because of the food processors. The food processors basically take all the, all the stuff that's not shelf-stable, which is the good stuff, the nutritious stuff, like the bran and the germ mm. of wheat, um, because it's not shelf-stable. Sta- yeah. self, right.
1: The things that make our cereal go bad, for example. Right.
0: So they yeah. remove them and they have to replace it. But they're removing essential oils or removing vitamins when they do so. So then they have to enrich it and they have to fortify it. Mm-hmm. No, enriching is good. Fortifying is good. Make stronger. Make more rich.
1: Beautiful euphemisms.
0: Uh, beautiful euphemisms. Yeah. Dr. As- Sukal, who I interviewed, Cleveland Clinic internist there, wants us to think of it as stripped flour, you know, refined. It's not refined. You know, refined means elegant or with impurities removed. Well, that's not what they've done. They've, they've left the impurity. What we're eating is the impurity, basically. Mm. So she wants us to start thinking of things as stripped carbs. When you have a stripped carb removed from its fiber matrix, that's what's going to be translated directly into sugar in your bloodstream, and that is going to be bad for you.
1: How possible does it feel to you to change the way we talk about food?
0: Well, we're doing it right now. Uh, we can't expect it to happen overnight. I mean, we never talked about this stuff, you know, in the 80s. We just talked about fat was bad and we, you know, blanket statement. Mm-hmm. When we didn't even think to say, well, there are different kinds of fats and sure. they affect our, our you know, our blood differently. And we're just beginning now to think reasonably, it seems to me, because we care, because, you know, again, our fruit's harming us. And so it's important that we talk about this stuff.
1: I think partly, too, it's sort of an the conversation getting a little bit more expansive. Like I mentioned before, I mean, you don't have any books on food policy or explicitly about nutrition, yet here you are talking about them, raising the issues, asking the questions. And that's important.
0: Yeah, because the fact is nobody really knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. So that's why we need to talk. We need a better way to get answers that are meaningful and true.
1: don't listen to us, but listen to us. You said before, don't even listen to me. You should be listening to yourself.
0: Yeah, you, you put it in a very nice way. Yeah, <laughs> listen to us, but don't listen to us. Or take what makes sense and integrate it into your life. If it does, and if it doesn't, fine. Duck confit is one of my favorite things to eat. Here is this rich, fatty meat that's poached in more animal fat, more <laughs> duck fat, for hours and hours yeah. until it's really it's so tender. beautiful.
1: It's beautifully excessive.
0: And then and then you crisp it under the broiler, and you've got this crispy duck skin, you've got this succulent meat inside. And and then I realized we didn't create this food because it's so delicious. We created this food so we could stay alive in the winter when we didn't have refrigeration. This mm. is a way of preserving duck. Mm. This, is what, this wasn't for our pleasure. And yet we were ingenious enough to make it one of the best foods on the planet. That's really when I started thinking about food. I think so. It would be about 2004 when I started thinking about food, what food meant, what preservation means, the origins, and you know how we got to a place where we were making duck confit and enjoying it. To the 1960s and 70s, saying stay away from stay away from red meat and stay away from eggs, stay away from fat. But in America, we didn't even we didn't even know what duck confit was. You know, we'd never because we had very little preservation in our culinary history. We had hams and bacon,s uh, and, and preserved fruit.
1: It's actually extraordinarily easy to make, which I didn't realize for a while.
0: It's it's super just, easy to make. Just melt it. Um, yeah, in fact, you don't even need duck fat if you don't want. Just yeah. buy some legs and pour olive oil over it. Yeah. Throw some garlic and thyme and and pepper in there. Yeah. And cook it for hours and hours at two hundred degrees until it's tender. There's your duck confit, and and that will stay in your fridge. If you have room in your fridge, in a pot, all winter long, and you can pull out pieces just like, you know, the old folks in Gascony still do and have done for centuries. And you've got a a simple meal. It's ready in 10 minutes.
1: So the rule is if you cook it yourself, eat it.
0: The rule is if you cook it yourself, you can eat pretty much whatever you want and not worry about calories, not worry about, you know, gaining weight. Because when you cook your own food... One, you're eating whole foods, you're eating healthier, f- oh, there I go. See, I slip into it. You're eating more nutritious foods. Well,
1: it's hard. Food. I mean, it's, le- it's, it's cultural lexicon.
0: Right. And, which,
1: and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you just did because it, it is- It shows how
0: difficult it is mm-hmm. to get away from it. Yeah. Um, but if you, you eat this f- nutritious food, your body will become sated more quickly, and you won't feel hungry immediately afterwards.
1: Michael looks to food deserts as prime examples for how convenience foods could harm us. He says because affordable and nutritious food is hard to find in these areas, options are limited to the stuff you can find at a drugstore or a corner store or the local fast food spot. And this is where a lot of food-related health problems live. People with ready access to grocery stores, he says, are more likely to live longer, healthier, and happier lives. In other words, we're up against a lot. But the first step we can take is a small one.
0: Progress looks to me like more people thinking about their food and knowing what's in it and making good food choices. I mean, we vote with our dollar in America. That's the way it is. We've absolutely radically transformed the grocery store by what we want. You know, when I was growing up, there were no fresh herbs. I grew up in Cleveland in the 1970s. I didn't even know that parsley was an herb. It was just parsley because that was the only sort of thing like it that the grocery store offered. And it was used as garnish on your plate and your mom told you to put it in your mouth afterwards because it freshened your breath. I didn't I didn't encounter a fresh herb. I'd been making this great pasta, basil and tomato, just garlic. I still make it. But when I first did it, it asked for like a half a cup of basil, and I put a half a cup of dried basil in there Hmm. because I never knew. And I still liked it. It was still good. But then I got to New York in 1985, and I was going past a bodega, and there were these big bushels of fresh basil. And I thought, oh, (laughs) that must be what it meant. (laughs) Um, we've changed what's available to us just simply by asking for it. You know, we couldn't get cilantro back then or shiitake mushrooms. And also the food producers are giving it to us as well. So we have to be careful. I mean, there's now something like 40,000 new food products introduced every year. Yeah, A grocery great. store only holds about forty to 50,000 items as it is. So we have to be careful of what we buy. If we buy it, you are asking for more of it. Mm-hmm. If you buy that fat-free half and half... You are asking for more of it. You buy that stuff with all that, uh, that fructose corn syrup, mm. you're asking for more of it. You buy fresh stuff, you're asking for more of it, too. You know, you buy the good stuff. Look at all the organic and high-quality meats that are available now. They, that was never the case.
1: Sure. Although, admittedly, it adds another element of confusion, though.
0: You know? It does. You know, well, there's 15 kinds of eggs now. There used to be three, medium, you know, small, medium, and large. Another about 15 different kinds of eggs. What are we supposed to do? You know, so there's, it's crazy. There used to be five types of apples that we get at the store, um, but now there are 25. In Cleveland, anyway, we didn't used to be able to get cantaloupe in the wintertime because it was bad, you know, <laughs> if it was available at all.
1: <laughs> and it should have stayed that way, um, potentially.
0: Yeah, but now, because we can get it from all, all over anywhere, of course. it's crummy. And people don't, people wonder, why is this cantaloupe? This cantaloupe is no good. Well, it's December, right. you know. Right. cantaloupes are summer fruit. Mm-hmm. Eat in season. Well,
1: and we're also losing the ability to recognize what's in season when. And no, I feel like nobody knows that anymore. And it's easy. It's easier to get lost, and it's easier to get misinformed in the aisles of a grocery store than maybe it w- was, you know, when I before I was even around.
0: That's a really interesting point. It's hard to, yeah, we're losing a sense of seasonality. I think you're right because we can get asparagus all year round now.
1: Yeah, why would anyone think you can only look for it in May or you should only look for it in May?
0: I think people don't care enough, and I think they need to care. I think, you know, as Judy Rogers said to me, the wonderful San Francisco chef, she said, you know, that strawberry in January that arrives with your breakfast at you know, a Sheraton, people see that as a marvel. Well, it's, it's not. It's a catastrophe. All the stuff that has to happen to get that strawberry on your plate is, is not good for the farmer. It's not good for the environment. It's certainly not good for the person eating this, this bad strawberry. Mm-hmm. So we need to pay attention to our food. I think if we pay attention to our food, everything gets a whole lot better. Everything. When you think of seasonality, people should think, okay, what's growing around me now? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's, what's naturally growing? That's what I should be eating. I still think we have a vague sense because I've talked with some grocers. I'm writing a book about grocery stores now, so if we're already obvious. But <laughs> so I'm thinking a lot about groceries. They know that come September, stone fruits, even if they're good and available, will stop being bought and people will start buying apples instead. They move on. Yeah, they've, they've had enough. Their bodies have are, have absorbed all that stuff. They're ready for...
1: Sweaters and pie.
0: S- sweaters and pie and, and, and crisp tart apples.
1: I struggle with this conversation not feeling elitist, but being perceived as such. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole underbelly, I think, of this topic to think about how much it costs to eat truly organically and source your stuff only from the markets. But I do think it's obviously a very huge barrier to change and changing the way that people are shopping just in the middle aisles, for example, and and voting with their dollar on all these foods that are sort of killing us.
0: It's true, and it's an intractable problem that good food is more expensive. We need to find better ways to make nutritious food available to those without the the resources to make it a daily part of their lives for themselves and their, their children.
1: Is there a less nebulous very small action that we can take on a daily basis you know something simpler than saying just cook everything or just buy better food is there a small thing that we can do every day to sort of change the way that we're doing things and make this conversation a little bit more relevant among more people
0: yeah i'd say shut up and just do it you know show people what you care about by your actions taking the time to buy good food Inviting people over, sharing a meal with your neighbors, actions do go a lot longer than uh, they're a lot stronger than words. Cliched, but true, you know. And then people recognize that, oh, that was that was a fun evening, or I felt really good afterwards, or I felt really healthy afterwards, and um, or
1: I'm feeding my kids better,
0: or certainly I'm feeding my kids better, and my kids like it, and you know they're getting interested in in, in trying new vegetables. Or again, if you cook for your kids, they recognize the difference. They will recognize the difference, uh, and they'll eventually make their It will slowly be absorbed into their psyches that this is the way to go.
1: Do you talk to your kids about this sort of thing?
0: Oh, all the time. They're sick of it.
1: <laughs> Do they like anything that's particularly processed that they might get it?
0: Just about thing. everything. Yeah. 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 They love processed food.
1: I mean, it's easy to love.
0: It is easy to love. That's why the marketers um, make it that way, you know, but remember— They don't have your health interests. They have their bottom line interests.
1: Do you find them like sneaking yodels?
0: Who, my kids? Mm -hmm. They don't sneak. They go out. They're old enough to go out and buy their own shitty food. You know, often they will actually cook and they like to cook. And I think that they're learning that they feel better and it's more fun and life is better when they cook their own food. As opposed to picking up bags of food and sitting around and eating and feeling lousy afterwards.
1: Yeah, that seems like the best thing you can pass on. Michael Roman, thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing the new book. That's it for this episode of Burnt Toast. Our producer today is AC Valdez, and thanks also to Laura Mayer, Henry Malofsky, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter address is at Food52, or leave us a review on iTunes. For Michael Roman, I'm Kenzie Wilbur. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.